0: From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny here with my colleague Benta Berkland. Hey, Andy. Hello. So, I think people who pay at least a little bit of attention to the state legislature could name some of the biggest topics in Colorado politics. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've been talking about them for months, stuff like transportation, climate change. Things that a lot of people care at least what somewhat about.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would expect so, yes.
0: Maybe, we hope. But there is actually a whole other side of the legislature, I would say. You know, like tons and tons of bills that ultimately could actually directly affect your life, just maybe not in such an attention-grabbing way.
1: There's so many bills during a session, and a lot of them actually do make it through the legislative process. And I think it's interesting because bills in Colorado, even if they don't ultimately pass, will get a hearing and an up or down vote. That's a requirement. So it's Mm -hmm. different than what we see at the federal level, where it's sometimes a big deal if a bill even gets one committee hearing. Obviously, those certain topics that grab a lot of attention and take plenty of energy, but still, so many other issues that are pretty impactful to everyday people.
0: And I found that just fascinating to watch, all those secondary bills, you might call them, uh, in these first two sessions that I've covered. So whether they change how you get takeout food or beer or maybe your next hike in the woods, I figured that in this episode we could kind of dig in a bit to some of those other topics.
1: You kind of have a mechanism to track all these bills, right?
0: Yeah, I have a spreadsheet for everything, Benta. You know this. My bill tracker has more than 400 proposals in it currently that are all making their way through the legislature. Some of them are already passed through. Some of them have been rejected. Mm-hmm. Out of those 400, I've tagged more than 100 that I'm personally interested in in some way or that just stuck out to me.
1: Wow. Yeah, there's a lot.
0: <laughs> and we've probably written about, you know, 10 of them at most. So well,
1: I think a little more than that. But I mean, it's it's hard <laughs> to get to everything that you want to.
0: It really is. We wish we could. So let's, let's just go through some of the ones that, that have stuck out in some way. Uh, I mentioned hiking in the woods. There's a bill that would kind of get the state more involved in supporting search and rescue and developing search and rescue programs.
1: And then there's one that would, it's um, delivery for alcohol and beer. And that, that was kind of in response to the pandemic. A lot of people have been ordering things remotely and lawmakers want to allow that to continue.
0: There's another one that would also allow a third-party company to deliver your beer for you, 1-800-BEER-RUN. And, and you know, that's obviously kind of continuing a policy that, that got some traction during the pandemic, the idea of delivering alcohol.
1: Another bill that comes out of the pandemic would require businesses to accept cash. So we've seen during the pandemic that a lot of times that hasn't been the case. Like McDonald's, for instance, was preferring people pay with a credit card. So yep. this bill would say businesses have to accept cash, which is, I think, prior to the pandemic, I wouldn't have ever anticipated this type of legislation being introduced. I don't think people would have felt it was necessary.
0: And isn't that like such a good example of the kind of widespread difference that a state law can make even without getting a ton of attention? Because that affects every transaction that you make, guarantees that you can use legal tender.
1: And then, you know, there's other measures that have been in the works for a long time. So here's a bill that's failed before. Um, It's actually headed to the governor now. And what it would do is eliminate the statute of limitations in civil cases for sexual assault. And so this bill passed overwhelmingly. Um, Republican Representative Matt Soper is one of the main sponsors.
0: This is 30 years in the making to be able to give victims of rape and sexual assault the opportunity to make their day in court when they're ready to tell their story.
1: So previously, in civil cases, there was you had six years for childhood rape and sexual assault to file a civil case. Another bill that's that's moving through the legislature right now that's more controversial um, would add gender identity and gender expression to the state's anti discrimination laws. So right now, uh, you know, sexual orientation is part of that, but not gender identity and gender expression, and so. We heard some kind of passionate uh, remarks on the House floor, and Republicans are concerned that these definitions are too subjective, and they're not clear enough in the law, and that even if businesses are are trying to comply with this, it'll be difficult to do so.
0: And that's the kind of bill that in certain sessions or in certain states could end up being the main focus. You know, Mm -hmm. I was in North Carolina before this, and some of the anti-trans people bills (laughs) ended up totally defining state politics for a period of years. This year, though, not, I would say, the central, central focus of what's going on. Um, let's keep going through our list of a ban on single-use plastics and certain styrofoam containers. like
1: That's huge. Yeah,
0: that's in the legislature right now, and I would wager a fair amount of people don't know about that. There's a farm workers bill of rights that similarly huge for that industry, huge for the people that work in it, guaranteeing a state minimum wage rather than just the federal minimum wage for those workers, letting them unionize. And, you know, the list goes on.
1: And for, for the farm worker bill, I was talking to someone connected to the agriculture industry, and there's a lot of concerns there about what this bill would mean for the ag industry and for workers unionizing higher wages that type of thing. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. But definitely a very big deal and a change for Colorado if that did become law.
0: And just another good example of how outside of those bills that affect everybody or that everybody cares about, there's just tons and tons that dig into these individual topics that have significant effects just for maybe a smaller portion of the population or the industry. But now let's back up a little bit, Benta. We've, we've talked about this idea that some of these bills are fighting for attention a little bit or, or aren't getting it. What is dominating this session? Just to remind people.
1: Obviously, we're still in the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic. So going into this session, we heard from Republicans, from Democrats, from the governor that recovering from the pandemic, economic recovery, stimulus money would be a big focus of the session. I I think that's the case, but they still haven't decided exactly how to spend that money. And that's Mm -hmm. something we'll be seeing in the next few weeks passing a state budget. There's a state stimulus. There's the federal money coming into Colorado, and there's some discretion there on how that money will be spent. And then also big issues that that lawmakers want to tackle around transportation, gun policy, climate change, public option for health care. Some of those have started to be introduced, but they haven't had their hearings and, and some haven't been introduced yet.
0: Yeah. And we're coming up on close to maybe halfway done with this session. Um, I'm curious, though, you've covered this longer than me, Benta. How does this compare to previous sessions? It feels to me like just a ton of big stuff and a ton of medium stuff and a ton of small stuff. Is this normal?
1: I think in some ways, yes. A lot of the heavier, bigger, more complicated things take time. Even though every bill gets a public hearing, a lot of the work happens behind the scenes when people are trying to negotiate what the details are going to be for when they introduce a bill. And so Democratic Senate Majority Leader Steve Fenberg you know, noted that there's a lot of work people have been doing for the last few months, and it's about to come to fruition.
0: It'll be heavy. It'll be maybe long floor work and big debates. But, you know, that's the work we do. It's not that different, really, if you think about it from every other session. Every session, something comes up. I suspect the tragedy in Boulder isn't going to be the only thing that comes up that we want to urgently address. But this past year has been a roller coaster already, and um, we're we're clearly also dealing with the pandemic and, and the economic recovery. So that tragedy he's referring to in Boulder, of course, the uh, the mass murder, the mass shooting of ten people in a grocery store. Ben, we were talking earlier about how some of these potentially controversial bills, um, like on gender, for example, hadn't taken over the whole session. Do you think that something like a gun bill that they could introduce in response to the Boulder shooting, a potential assault weapons ban, does that have the potential to derail some of these smaller and medium sized bills?
1: Absolutely, yes. I mean, that's a contentious topic. People have very strong feelings. I covered the legislature in 2013 when Democrats passed a high-capacity magazine ban and universal background checks. And that was probably the most intense thing I've ever covered Mm. from a a pushback perspective. Yet they did eventually become a law. Uh, Two lawmakers were recalled from office, and then Democrats lost the state Senate. But during that debate at the Capitol, I mean, it was— People circling the building in vehicles with horns blaring, you know, dawn till dusk. It was more crowded than I've ever seen that building. Uh, you know, we do already have some gun policies moving through the legislature right now a measure to require safe storage of firearms, a measure to require reporting lost and stolen firearms. There's a bill being drafted that hasn't been introduced yet, but will require a three day waiting period after you purchase a firearm. And then In the works, potentially, are proposals that would let cities pass stricter gun laws than the state and then a statewide assault weapons ban. I think Democrats in Boulder and Denver are aware that that's going to be a very tough lift politically, even though Mm -hmm. Democrats are in charge of the legislature. I can think of already three or more Democrats that would not support a statewide ban. It's going to be tough, but a Democratic lawmaker said nothing's off the table. They're having those discussions right now. And I I recently talked to quite a few gun owners to get their take on where everything stands. And a lot of people are owners for a variety of reasons. It is just one step towards outlawing guns. And you could say, well, we'd never want to do that because you hear that. But I don't think that's the truth.
0: I'm one of the good guys. But you want to make me a criminal because. You want to take away a right that I hold dear because you're afraid. They could try to pass something on the state level, in ignoring the western slope, but I think it'd be really hard even for the governor to do it right now. The
1: one thing that would flip Colorado red is this. I think this will be that big.
0: So imagine if that turns into cars circling the Capitol honking horns full out, you know, resistance to a bill, that would have Pretty big implications for the rest of the agenda, right?
1: I think Democrats are well aware of that, uh, people in leadership as well as Republicans. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say the biggest thing I heard from people who'd be opposed to an assault-style weapons ban across the state is they don't really feel it will be effective at all, and they don't think it would save lives. Supporters say, yes, it would. And every little bit helps. So a big divide on that issue. Although I think we may see people come together on mental health services. Everyone does seem to be on board with increasing mental health services and doing a better job there. But having said that, that's a complicated public policy discussion, you know, improving mental health care. There's so many facets to mental health systems yeah. and hospital beds and treatment. And it, it just goes on and on. So that I think that we'll see some agreement there. But what they actually get done, that's a lot to tackle as well to figure out next steps there.
0: And how much time and energy do they have for it? How much of a dance is there? Any single lawmaker is allowed to introduce a certain number of bills. How much negotiating goes on within that caucus to decide, like, hey, we don't want you guys to talk about an assault weapons ban right now. We want more focus on this. Or is it just kind of a free-for-all within the parties?
1: Hmm, That's a really good question. It's definitely not a free-for-all. I would say lawmakers are allowed to introduce five bills. And so anything beyond that limit, you have to get approval from leadership. That's Democratic leaders in each chamber. Hmm. So there's tons of bills that people introduce beyond that five-bill limit. But we're at that point in the session where you need to get approval for that. So I think you're exactly right. You know, people don't want to take a very tough vote that may be difficult for them politically. Maybe they don't personally support it. Maybe they have constituents, especially Democrats in more conservative areas like Pueblo. There could be a lot of pushback. So one thing is are you gonna put people through a tough vote if you don't think it'll ultimately pass? So that's one discussion. Sometimes you don't know if it's really gonna pass until you really do put it to a vote though. So Hmm. there's a tons of negotiation, not just on the gun policy proposals, but so many other things as well. And they are gonna run out of time eventually. I mean, the session will end by about mid June. And so I don't think anyone wants to go into an extra special session. We've already had a special session in December. They took a break because of COVID and they were in session last summer, which they're never in session in the summer. So it's kind of felt like a year plus legislative session on and off. So I don't expect session to go beyond the 120 days.
0: (laughs) Well, Benta, we've talked about a few different types of bills. And just to kind of restate it, I would almost put it as the big things that the parties as a whole come in knowing that they want to do. Stuff like transportation, as we as we discussed. Mm-hmm. And then there's the big things that you have to respond to. The tragic shooting, the pandemic. And then the bills that we were talking up at the top, the more maybe you would call them obscure or maybe just more individual. Like the, the bills that come from individual lawmakers mm-hmm. seem like their own kind of set. In your experience, where do lawmakers actually come up with these ideas about what they want to do?
1: I think for some of the personal things you were talking about, it could just be based on someone's life experience and their expertise based on work or family. I know one lawmaker who wants to focus on mental health her son suffers from schizophrenia and bipolar. And so that brought her into that. Mm. Um, We've got Representative Monica Duran. She's a a Democrat and she's um, dealt with domestic violence. Um, And so she's sponsored some of that legislation. And then for other, other people, I think it's just, things that are brought to them from constituents or certainly lobbyists and industries and people who back them when they're running for office. I know we've reported quite a bit on Kyle Mullica. He's an emergency room nurse, and that's definitely informed a lot of the legislation he's passing, as well as uh, we have a one medical doctor in the legislature, yeah. Yadira Caraveo. She's a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's just like anything else, You know what you're personally interested in. I don't know if anything stood out to you from from a member.
0: Well, you know, in general, what, what's really struck me is that it's not just the two parties in there. It's a ton of ideas. It's a ton of individual people all trying to get stuff done in a limited time. And then in terms of how ideas become bills, become laws, I've also noticed that there's a fair amount where an idea will just kind of propagate from a different state, you know, especially mm-hmm. for our Democrats and our progressives. If you see something come up in California and Washington State and maybe Maryland and somewhere in the Northeast on health care or housing, there's a good chance that some version of it will appear here. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm always kind of delighted by the bills that are clearly just like something that got stuck in somebody's craw, just, you know, their their individual passion quest. The the best example that comes to mind is Greg Brophy, the the former senator who was always on a quest to do away with daylight saving time.
1: An unsuccessful quest, but yes, that was definitely something he was passionate about.
0: With all these bills in the legislature at the same time and some getting more attention than others, one thing I think we'll be curious about is, are some of these meant to fly under the radar a little bit? Obviously not the daylight saving time, but do lawmakers ever try to disguise or hide what they're doing?
1: I would say, yeah, it depends on the bill. Certainly there's some that I would think the lobbyists and, and the interests don't, necessarily want a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. They just feel like it will put more pressure on a lawmaker to vote against it. And sometimes that just happens naturally, not even because they're trying to do that. I would say bills in Colorado are required to be based on a single subject. So you can't have a bill that's, let's say, about a plastic ban and then there's other things in there tied to a totally different topic. So we see that in Congress at the federal level. So I think it's harder to, like, sneak things into an actual bill that are totally irrelevant. But A lot of things happen before a bill is even introduced. And so as a reporter, I'm always trying to kind of find out what those discussions are because that's where sometimes the decisions are made before it's even in the public process.
0: But, you know, the net result, you're right, with the single subject rule and all the committee hearings is it is hard to completely sneak something through, (laughs) I would think. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it is still possible to almost camouflage a bill just in the sense that, like, there are so many things they're working on at once. There's a limited amount of attention the public's going to pay. So I think that sometimes in a really busy year, some of the stuff that, again, would have been session dominating in other years might be easier to pass. I don't know. What do you think?
1: As much as I'd love to say people are paying close attention to the Colorado State Legislature and the Capitol, I know that's not the case. Just people have busy lives. There's a lot of things people have to prioritize there's stuff at the federal level, other news. I mean, people have lives beyond following state government. So it's tough to get people to pay attention. And yeah, even for me, I feel overwhelmed by how much is happening and how much I feel like I can't get to, but I want to get to because it is important. It is interesting. So I think there can be information overload, not just from the state legislature, but just from all facets of society in a way.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where politics really meets policy. It seems like a lot of politics is the art of knowing what to talk about and when and how to make people pay attention. We should also mention that besides the the questions of all these bills competing for time and energy, Republicans in, who are in the minority right now, obviously, they also have some tools at their disposal, right, to actually slow things down if they want and, and probably force Democrats to make some decisions about which bills to spend their time on.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, the session does have an end date. Two years ago, when Democrats were passing a controversial bill related to oil and gas regulations, Republicans and other people, too, felt like it was moving too quickly. And so Republicans requested that a bill be read out loud at length, which you're allowed to do. It's in the state constitution. They picked a bill that wasn't controversial, but it was extremely long bill. And reading it out loud at length would have taken a full week. And so nothing else could have happened in the Senate chamber. In response, Democrats sent a, set up a bank of five computers to read it at high, high speed. <laughs> anyway, there was a lawsuit. It just got resolved. The state Supreme Court ruled that the legislature could not use a bank of five computers to read a bill at high speeds like that. So they said the bill reading has to be understandable. They didn't say exactly what lawmakers had to do. Does it have to be a person or could it still be a computer just at a much slower speed? We don't know. We may find out later this session because I think when time becomes an issue and it's towards the end of session, I think we could see Republicans use this tactic.
0: So we've kind of covered the spectrum here from small bills to big bills, individual priorities to party platforms. And of course, we didn't touch on half of the 100 plus things that i am personally interested in at the legislature
1: future stories for you to uh report on right You're gonna
0: give me anxiety <laughs> thinking about all those um of course people can follow along for themselves as well on our website and at the state legislature's website and we welcome those questions that you might have about uh, i don't know if this is a particular bill that you want to see covered more or a question about the process let us know meanwhile we'll be getting ready for the second half of the session where again things are kind of expected to get faster and heavier and and just a little more chaotic before we go i wanted to share a moment that made me pause that was a little funny and surprising to me that made me say wait Wait, 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 what what? What, what, what? Uh, i was on twitter as as i'm known to occasionally be (laughs) once in a while and this has happened to me several times. I, I, I'll see a post come across my feed that has all these elements that make me pay attention because I know it's about the state legislature.
1: Okay.
0: Inevitably, these posts end up being kind of nonsensical and I don't really understand them. Like, for example, Vicky Marble wants to defund Aspen because of progressive ideology.
1: Like former state senator yeah. Vicky Marble? <laughs> De- what was it? She wants to what? She wants
0: to defund Aspen. Huh. Or John Hickenlooper is secretly a liberal. Just like weird, just specific enough to make me pay attention. Weird enough that they don't make any sense in the Secretly end.
1: Secretly a liberal, huh? That's <laughs> Not interesting. Not a
0: secret. So these were actually from something called Colorado Political Hot Takes Bot, which is a piece of software designed by Spencer Wilcox. He's a high schooler from Lakewood, chairman of the Colorado High School Democrats. And I asked him how he put it together, and he said that he started by putting in some of the most known names in Colorado state politics—you know, the governor and the legislative leaders—and then kind of kept adding more and more different people and different kind of sentence structures and things that the bot could be tweeting about. And then I added some more uh, unique ones that more people in the Colorado political sphere would know, like Lorena Garcia. And then as it sort of went on. Other people involved, Colorado Politics, actually suggested random prompts for me. And what he's doing is he's plugging these in. It's not like a highly advanced AI or something. He said it's basically Mad Libs where he sets up a sentence structure like Democrats need to do so-and-so to win this district. And it just plugs the name in. Oh, okay. By now, this thing's made about 5,000 tweets. I think it goes once an hour. Probably the most successful one said the only way Democrats will win Broomfield is if they nominate Phil Weiser for House Majority Whip.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm sure the average person is going to be like, what is that even about? But it seems like if you know who the capital players are or whatever,
0: it's like vaguely believable. That one actually got a response from Representative Matt Gray and then eventually the attorney general himself who said, oh, did April 1st come early? So it's weird thinking that this weird tweet bot that I made, the attorney general of Colorado actually saw it. So, Benta, as you and I know, and Spencer's now discovered, state politicians are also just people on Twitter. <laughs> that is it for this week. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny here with my colleague, Benta Berkland. You can find me on Twitter and keep up with stuff we've been talking about this week at AndyKNNY.
1: I'm at Benta Berkland. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. This is Purplish from CPR News.